0: The words she sung are the words that Jesus said not on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was with the Father, not after he fed 5,000 people with just a little boy's lunch, not after he healed the little boy that was deaf and blind and couldn't speak. Jesus said, Not my will, but thine be done. In the midst of his most painful moment, kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops out of water, of blood, understanding that in his humanity, he felt the nervousness and anxiety of soon-to-be death by way of crucifixion. But in his deity, he could see exactly how it was going to play out. And so he felt the nervousness of not knowing the future. Yet he felt the pain of knowing the future. And in that moment, after asking the Lord to let this bitter cut pass, he still had the character, fully man and fully God, to say, not my will be done, but thine. Flows into our message because It's very, very easy to be surrendered, close to, and following the Lord on the mountaintops of life, isn't it? Yet when we find ourselves in a season of suffering, something entirely different when we're sweating drops of blood, to say, thy will be done. But I want you to know something, friend. My God is the same on the mountaintops as he is in the valley. And even if you don't feel it, even if you can't see it, and you can't discern it, and those around you aren't even confirming it, would you take faith that your God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And we should be that surrendered. Starting a new series of messages today through the small book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles turned there, it's two books after the book of Joshua, which we've been in all year long on Sunday morning. So thankful for pastors' diligent preaching out of that book and challenging us to go forward for the foreseeable future as I occupy the pulpits on Sunday morning, which won't be every Sunday morning, but on the mornings that I do, I'm going to be preaching out of this short story four chapters chronicling the life of Ruth. And the title of the Sermon series is indeed the theme of the book. From hope, or from hurt, to hope. You're going to see today that the story starts very dark. But in the weeks to come, you're going to see a lot of light. The story begins very gloomy, with a lot of hurt in the life of one particular family that's highlighted throughout this narrative. But by the end of the book, you're going to see Jesus. And the book, in fact, is one short story that highlights how God will take our hurts, redeem them, and turn them in to hope. If you're hurting, you know people that are hurting, suffering, experiencing things in their life that are less than ideal, I want to encourage you to be here and to bring them with you as we study a God that specializes in redeeming our hurts. Taking our hurts and... Giving us hope. By the way, that doesn't mean He takes our hurts away. It just means He gives us a sense of divine hope in the midst of them. It's pretty amazing. Root chapter 1, and we'll begin in verses 1 through 5 today. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Verse 2. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his son, Naomi, or his wife, Naomi, the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continue there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, her two sons. And they took them wives for the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kileon died, also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. We're going to spend three messages in chapter three. This is the first of three, and the theme, or chapter one, and the, and the first, the theme of chapter one, could be stated like this: hope in suffering. Because what it does is it, it shows us the backdrop. To the story. it Introduces the characters. And they're in an extended season of suffering. They're hurting. And there's three different responses by these family members to their hurt. Elimelech will show us one response today that we'll learn from. Naomi will show us another response to her suffering that we'll learn from. And then Ruth will show us a proper response to suffering. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, the efforts which we make to escape from our suffering only serve to lead us into it. All of us share the same propensity during seasons of suffering in our lives. We all tend to tend and try to escape it to dodge it, or even to take matters into our own hands and run as far away from suffering as we possibly can. And we do this because in our humanity, we don't like pain. We like comfort. We don't like hardship. We prefer things to be easy. We don't like waiting. We want it right now. And we don't like uncertainty. We prefer a predictable path that's within our control. So when pain comes and hardship comes or uncertainty comes, our natural inclination as fallen beings is to run from it. But the only problem with trying to escape our suffering is that running from suffering usually invites more suffering. In fact, running from your problems usually makes things worse. Such was the case with the man we're introduced to at the very beginning of the narrative. In fact... His decision to run in the midst of his suffering is the backdrop to the entire story of Ruth. I wish Elimelech could have read this quote. Because he is is living proof that Emerson's quote was right, that the efforts we make to escape from our suffering only serve to lead us into it. I want you to study your Bible with me. The first part of verse 1 gives us the setting. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. That's that's the day, that's the time period. What does it mean that this story took place in the time when the judges ruled? Well, turn back in your Bible one page or look on the screen at Judges 21-25. In those days, the days of the judges, there was no king in Israel. Meaning this, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So this story of Ruth is something that takes place and could very well be tucked into the book of the Judges. The book of the Judges was a time where the the children of God were at an all-time low spiritually. They did wrong, God punished, they felt sorry, repented, did better, God blessed, they got comfortable, then they did wrong again. And God punished, and then they repented and did right, then they did wrong again. And it's a cyclical pattern all the way through the book of Judges. And Ruth is during that time. No leadership. No king. No accountability. Which meant civil war. It meant cruelty. It meant violence. It meant outright wickedness. Yet here's the good thing. In the midst of such evil times in Israel's history, there was a family of blessed believers led by a man named Elimelech. We're introduced to the family in verse 2. Look at your Bible. And the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. Now if you study the way that the narrator introduces that family, you get an underlying point. He wants to highlight the fact that this is a blessed family. He mentions that they're part of God's chosen people. He mentions that that they dwell in a place called Bethlehem, Judah. That had spiritual significance because that's where King David was born. Has greater spiritual significance because it was the place where Jesus himself would be born. The name Bethlehem meant the house of bread. Which meant that they were living in a place where God's provision was manifested. And God's blessing resided. There are the tribe of Judah which means praise. So not only they live in a center of worship in Bethlehem, but they are part of a tribe who's known for their praise and worship of Yahweh God. The, 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 the narrator also highlights the name of Elimelech, which means this, my God is king. Now that sounds pretty good. A family being led by a man, this is a novel idea, led by a man, whose name meant, my God is king. That's, it's incredible because they lived in a time, much like we do, where men do whatever they want. Where men are their own kings. No accountability, no authority. We will do what seems right in our own eyes. Yet here's a leading a family with this motto, God is our king. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then you've got Naomi. Her name means pleasant one. Not only do they have a good leader of the home, a spiritual man, but they've got a pleasant woman. There's nothing like, help me, man, this is your chance. Nothing like living with a pleasant woman. And don't aim in this, but there's nothing like living with an unpleasant woman. Come on now. In fact, wisest man in the world, we'll get there in Proverbs, said it's like the continual dropping of water. That's what he says in other words don't take for granted if you have a pleasant wife don't take for granted if you have a pleasant godly mother and on top of that she's the mother of two boys Malon and Kilion which means something significant in that day it means their name will be continued it means Naomi has hopes of being a grandma it means a can rest assured that God has given him two boys So moving forward, when he passes away, their heritage will go on. You might say, I wish I was part of a family like that. You are. No, you don't know my dad. You don't know my mom. Well, here's the truth. If you're here today and you're a child of God, you are part of a family of blessed believers. It's called the family of God. We don't all have the the same last name. We don't all look alike. We don't all like the same things. And not even every one of us go to the same church. But all of us have the same father. And if you're a child of God, you share in in, in a giant account of spiritual privileges. I mean, you've been adopted into the family of God. You've been made joint heirs with God through Jesus Christ for all of eternity. You've been forgiven and you've been justified and you've been redeemed and you have an inheritance reserved for you in glory you may not have a dad in on earth like Elimelech, whose god is his king and you may not have a mama like naomi who's pleasant and was pleasant to you growing up but would you hear me you have the heavenly father who loves you and who provides for you and has redeemed your life you are part of a family of blessed believers So here's the Elimelech's, the blessed family of believers. Yet the text tells us they find themselves living in not such a beautiful time. In fact, verse 1 says that there was a famine in the land. Us Americans know nothing of famines. My son continually tells me two hours after he eats, I'm starving to death. He doesn't have a clue. And neither do I. Famine was an extreme scarcity of food. Could have been caused by poor weather or widespread destruction of crops. But what's ironic is that there was a famine in a place that was known for provision. Bethlehem, Judah. House of bread. Yet they had none. Why? Why why in a place that was known for God's blessing did the crops wither? Why in a place that was known for God's blessing did foreign enemies come and destroy the, the crops and the fields and the increase. Why? Because people were given over to idolatry. And what did God do to his people when they walked away from him? He did exactly what he told them that he would do. He cursed them. Well, that's a mean God. No, they, they knew this would happen. Back when God redeemed them out of, out of you know, the book of Exodus there, out of, out of Egyptian bondage. You read Deuteronomy and God set the law in order and he said, this is how it's going to be. If you follow me, you'll be blessed. If you walk away from me, you will be cursed. And so it's not like they're surprised that God is sending a famine. They deserved it. God is not just a God that blesses those who follow him. God is a God that also chastises his children when they walk away from him. That's a side of God a lot of preachers don't want to talk about today. But that's what this famine was. Now Elimelech finds his family of blessed believers cursed, hungry, starving, scared to death. Did you know that just because you are a blessed believer doesn't mean you'll not face extended seasons of suffering in your life? Consider Job, an upright man, feared God, hated evil taught his kids to do the same, yet he faced a severe time of suffering when he lost his health, he lost his wealth, and he lost all his kids. Go to the New Testament. Man, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest church planners, I would say the greatest missionary, to ever walk the face of this earth. Truly a pioneer for the church. Beaten with rods, falsely accused, in prison for years at a time, stoned, shipwrecked, and starved nearly to death. I'm trying to tell you, God doesn't promise a life free of suffering just because you're His child. Just because you're at church today. The truth is, is that everyone under the sound of my voice has suffered in the the past or is currently suffering in the future or if God tarries His coming will surely suffer in the future or, or in the present rather. And what I mean by suffering is that you'll face a famine in your life. A time in which you're lacking, you're empty, you're dry, you're barren, you're struggling, life is difficult, even scary. Sometimes famines can be brought on by our own sinful choices, as was the case in the days of the judges. Sometimes we make foolish choices and we bring about consequences that cause suffering. Somebody say amen. Yet at other times we can read scripture and know that we can be walking with the Lord and he send us into a storm a famine in our life a time where you you experience an uh, an unexpected loss or a bit of bad news or a betrayal or a disappointed expectation or long days of loneliness we shouldn't be surprised jesus said in john 16:33 in the world ye shall have tribulation so the question today is not will I suffer in this life. The question is this. What will my response be when I do? Because you can't always choose your famines. But you can always choose your response. Your circumstances aren't always your responsibility. But your response is always your responsibility. And so Elimelech faced a famine and with it a choice. The choice is very clear. He could stay put by faith in the place of God's blessing, Bethlehem, Judah, and wait for God to provide again, like God did so often in cycles. Or he could live by sight alone, give into his flesh, into his fear, and he could take his family to a more comfortable place. Look at verse 1 at what he did. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah went to sojourn. In the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So here's how he responded to the suffering he ran from. He said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to a place where there is bread. Now at first, I'm sympathetic of Elimelech. Because I'm a father. And I'm a husband. And I for one am telling you that I would do whatever I had to do. And I would be inclined to go wherever I would have to go to provide for my boy to put food on the table for my wife. Men, you should feel the same thing. You should work for your family. You should provide for your family. You should have an inclination to be that protector and provider. But I can't can't condone or justify Elimelech's choice just because he had good intentions. You know why? Because of the place he chose to go. He chose to go to Moab. Well, come on, what's so bad about Moab? He's just taking care of his family. It's only 50 miles away. It's kind of the nearest place that, that's where their economy's not suffering. I mean, it's okay, right? No, no, Moab is not okay. Well, how do you know that? Well, I go back to the very beginning where they had a less than glorious start. You know how, they, how Moabites came into existence? Here's their origin. They were descendants of Lot, watch, through an incestuous relationship that Lot had with his eldest daughter. That's who you want to live with? On top of that, they were cursed by God for two reasons. The Moabites oppressed God's people over and over and over in severe ways. Don't mess with God's people. Second, they worshipped a false god in Moab called Shemash. And the worship of that false god led them to practice what we call child sacrifice today. Where they would scale the top of a pyramid and throw their babies over. As an act of worship to Shemash. That greatly offended God. And he didn't shy away from his thoughts in scripture about Moab. Psalms 60 in verse 8 says this Moab is my washpot. What is a washpot? It's a basin. A bowl that a servant would use to wring out a towel that he had just used to wash the dirty feet of a guest that was passing by. It would be like we're about to start football season. Taking the dirty, sweaty socks of a lineman. Wringing those out in a bowl. That's probably about as close as you can get. Would you agree that is absolutely gross? God did not shy away from using, like, the scum of his vocabulary to describe them. So think about this. We have a whose, God, whose name means, my God is king. A man who's living with his family in the place of God's blessing, yet chooses to lead his family out of Bethlehem into a wash pot. A man who has the opportunity to let God be his king through a season of suffering. A man who had an opportunity to live up to his name. A man who had the opportunity to stand out in a culture where every every man did that which was right in his own eyes, yet he blended into his culture and he did that which was right in his own eyes. What was this guy thinking? Well, he was just doing what many of us do when we suffer. We run to what seems like a more desirable place. A more pleasant place, a more comfortable place, an easier place—all in efforts to escape, or dodge, or at worst numb the pain of our current circumstance. When we should choose to respond by running to God, we choose rather to run away from God. We run away from God's people. We run away from God's house. We run away from God's place of provision for our life. We leave Bethlehem, and we too go to Moab. We leave a place of blessing. For a wash pot. What do you mean? Well, We face an unexpected loss. We grieve, which is appropriate. But instead of running to a God, which the scripture says is the very present help in times of trouble, you know what we often do? We run to a wash pot of alcohol. A wash pot of prescription drugs. All in efforts to make our pain go away, at least for the moment. We face the famine of a broken relationship. And instead of running to a God that the Bible makes clear as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, we run to the wash pot of another promiscuous relationship. One that will at least make us feel appreciated and accepted and loved in the moment, even if we know it's only temporary. We face an extended season of loneliness where it seems like it'll never end. And instead of running to a community of believers, we leave God's house and we run away from God's people for more of a party life and a life of weekend getaways with people whose priorities aren't in line with Scripture. But we know it'll give us a short reprieve from that state of loneliness that we live in. We suffer from a disappointed expectation. We expected to get that job but got turned down expected to get that promotion but got passed up, expected to get a clear report from the scan but got an unexpected call from the doctor, expected that we'd give birth to a healthy child but didn't, expected to experience a marriage that lasted a lifetime but had to endure one that fell apart, expected to be married by now but none of that is working out according to your timetable, expected to be financially secure and stable by this point in your life yet you still find yourself living from month to month. And instead of running to God in the season of disappointment, instead of staying put by faith in God's place of blessing, many choose rather to run to a wash pot, a place of bitterness, a place of discontentment, a place of spiritual indifference, a place in their heart as far removed as God as they can possibly be. Just to be clear, Moab isn't a geographical location for us today. Which means this, you can be in Bethlehem with your body, but in Moab with your heart. Well, I haven't went to drugs, I haven't went to alcohol, I'm here at church today. And I'll say this at the end of the message, you're in the right place, and I'm glad you're here, but I've been in the ministry long enough to understand that you can be dressed nice and putting on a front with your body in God's house, but in your heart, you're as far removed from this place as you can possibly be. We're all prone to run to Moab and we should be staying in Bethlehem. Question, why? Why are we prone to do that? I'm talking about the most spiritual person in here is prone to do that. We know better. We know God loves us. Why do we try and escape him instead of embracing him? Maybe for the same reason Elimelech did. You know why he did? He wasn't expecting to stay in Moab forever. He knew better than to go to Moab, but maybe he justified it in his mind because he only intended for it to be a quick trip away from God. I'll prove that to you. Verse number one, certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to, what's that next word? Sojourn in the country of Moab. You know what that word means? A temporary stay. It's what many of our college students from our church do. They leave liberal Kansas and they sojourn to Manhattan or Lawrence Or Emporia, if they're right with God, Norman. Some sojourned to Bible college I graduated from. Harlem Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City. Thankful we still send kids to Bible college. But listen, they don't sojourn there planning on staying forever. They want to stay there just long enough to get their degree and then move on. Elimelech was in the same spot. He had every intention to stay in Moab for just a short time, at least until the famine got better in Bethlehem. And I can hear Elimelech's justification as I imagine how he would converse with perhaps a neighbor that day when he was loading his camel and about to leave town. Elimelech, where are you going? Oh, just going on a little trip. Just a little sojourn, you know, just giving the family a little break. It's tough times around here, you know. Well, it must be nice to have the resources just to get away when you want to, especially in the middle of such a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're blessed. We really are. Say, that's more than just a couple cannibal, camels you're loading there. and It's more than just a few bags. You must be going far. No, 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 just about 50 miles. Oh, okay, well, you must be going for a long time. No, several months. Sabbatical, maybe. Just getting down there. Where to exactly? Oh, just going to swing by Moab. You know, take a gander. Seem to have plenty of restaurants open right now. A lot of fun things for the kids to do. (laughs) Right, Elimelech. Quit joking around. Seriously, where are you going to go? I just told you. We're going to make a quick stop in Moab. Now, Elimelech, I don't want to get in your business. But what in the world are you thinking? Hey, man, don't rush to judgment. I've got my reasons. Plus, we're only taking a sojourn. Didn't you hear me? Just a few weeks until things jumpstart again around here. Elimelech, I know I don't know you super well, but can I just say, you're not supposed to take your family to that place. God made it clear we're not to dwell in that land. Hey, buddy, I know what God said. I would never go long-term, but in order to take care of my families, every man should be concerned about, I've got to do this for at least for the time being. Well, Elimelech, where are you going to go to church? There's no temple to take your sacrifices to. There's no open court where you can take your offerings to. There's no place to worship in. There's no priest. No spiritual community at all. Hey, listen, man, it's not all about going to church all the time. It's fine to take a little break from church every once in a while, especially when times get tough. Well, your kids, your kids. Who will be their friends? How will they be affected? I mean, I hear those teenagers there in Moab are bad news. Oh, now you're asking about my kids? I'm done with this conversation. And by the way, my kids will be just fine. A couple weeks in Moab won't hurt them at all. Sadly, it wasn't just a couple weeks. It wasn't even a few years. The end of verse 2 says, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. In fact, they stayed there for at least 10 years. What was meant to be a temporary destination became a permanent residence. And the same thing happens to us, doesn't it? the decision we intend to be short-term ends up being long-term. None of us intend to walk away from God forever. We just intend to take a break. Times are busy. Stressful. Sunday morning comes. I'm not going to go today. Just one Sunday, it won't hurt. Except the next week, things don't slow down. It was just as busy. And you wake up again and think, I said it'd just be one week, I'm just going to go to two. Except the third week doesn't slow down. And you get to a third. If you're thinking I'm making this stuff up, we see it all the time. Where have you been? I just fell on hard times. Reason with me, please, church, reason with me. In hard times, shouldn't we be running to church? That's That's how I know suffering makes us illogical. Get your paycheck, look at it, go home, look at the bills, and you think, there's no way I can tithe this month and pay my bills. I mean, God expects 10%. I can't live on 90 this month. I think I'll I'll just, I'll, I'll bow out of tithing one month. That's it. That's it. God, I promise one time. Except the economy doesn't get any better. You don't get a raise. And your bills don't go away. And so the next month, you're in the same predicament. And when you make one simple choice, it's really easy to make another. Right. Hear me, please. When you say no to God the first time, it's easier the second time. When you take one foot out of Bethlehem, it's real easy to take the next foot. So the next week you withhold your tithe. Well, you always want money. No, I don't. God doesn't need your money. But he commands you give it to him. Why? He wants you to walk by faith. He, it's an act of surrender and worship to him. He gave you 100% of Jesus. All he asked is 10% of your money. What, so you can get rich? Yeah, right. No, so the work of the gospel can go forward. Because he uses that. Amen. Famine in your relationship with your spouse. Instead of running to get help and running to get counsel and running for transformation from God's word, your home is more like a war zone than an oasis. And so you connect with an old classmate, start texting a coworker. get on a porn site. After all, my spouse won't respect me, I know somebody that will. My spouse won't listen to me without trying to fix me, I know someone that will. My spouse doesn't even try anymore, I can go look at an image. And you justify it because it's only a sojourn. You don't intend to divorce, you don't intend to walk away forever, you intend to maybe prove a point or at least get satisfied until the point is proven. Before long, you find yourself having to erase your internet history. Then you find yourself having to delete your text before you get home from work. Then you find yourself in an all-out emotional connection with somebody that's not your spouse. Which leads to a sexual relationship which damages your marriage that God wanted to repair if you would have ran to him. Understand, Elimelech's not the only one that goes to Moab. Every one of us that call ourselves believers are tempted to leave the place of blessing for Moab because it looks easier, it feels better, it's more economical, it's more comfortable, less painful. And here's what we tell ourselves. It won't last long. Ten years later, would you fast forward with me? Elimelech's still in Moab. Here's what that means. Ten years of not going to church. Ten years of fellowship with unbelievers. Ten years of full bellies, but empty souls. And unfortunately, Elimelech never came home. He died in Moab. And he left us with a sobering thought about what might happen to us if we run from God during the hard times Of our life. You know what might happen? The same thing that happened to Elimelech. We might experience consequences that extend far beyond ourselves. Well, how did that happen? Look at it. Verse number three. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Listen, Elimelech went from a famine to a funeral. He was leaving a famine to go live, yet he left a famine. And he died, which reminds me of Solomon's words. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. We try to avoid suffering, so we run from it. Yet we run into the very thing we're trying to avoid in the first place. But it extends beyond himself in verse 4. And they, that's his sons, took them wives of the women of Moab. You might think, what's the matter with that? How could that be bad? That's where their dad moved them. That was the choice they had. And a boy's got to get married, right? It's never right to do wrong. Why was it wrong to marry Moabitess women? It had nothing to do with race. It had nothing to do with nationality. It had everything to do with spirituality. Because in Numbers 25, back in Moses' day... You know what they did? Moabitess women seduced Jewish men, led them into immorality, which led them into idolatry, and 24,000 Jews were killed. Go read it, Numbers 25. And in that moment, God cursed the Moabitess women and said, listen, listen, Hebrew men, you are not to marry Moabitess women. Here's the point. Elimelech's sinful choice led to the sinful choice of his kids. And you think, Dad, that moving to Moab just affects you? He was trying to help his kids. Instead, his decision hurt his kids. And they died in Moab. Don't think that you can be angry at God and it not affect your kids. Don't, affect, don't think you can just walk out of church... When you think God does you wrong or one of God's children does you wrong, don't think you can just walk out of church and leave them and not send a message to the next generation behind you that when things don't go well, you can just take God and leave them as you will. I'm telling you that your choice to go to Moab, it extends beyond yourself and it extends to those you're closest to and the generation behind you. But it didn't stop there. It went on to Naomi. Look at verse 5. Put that up there, Tammy, that next verse. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them, and the woman, that's Naomi, was left of her two sons and her husband. Watch this. She went from a famine to three funerals. And the rest of chapter one is going to chronicle her grief. I'm talking what what many scholars would call devil bereavement, suffering upon suffering upon suffering. All because of her husband's choice. Now, because of her husband's sinful choice, she is left with two pagan Moabitess women. And don't get me wrong, we're, this whole story is about how God redeemed that. But a sinful choice is a, still a sinful choice. Yes. Naomi had every hope of being a grandma. But what she loved in Bethlehem, she lost in Moab. And the things you love the most, you will lose in Moab. And your choice to leave the place of blessing for for instant gratification will cause those closest to you to feel deep, deep, deep pain. You listen to me, young people? Your parents grieve when you walk away from God. Church family, your pastor grieves when you walk away from God. What does the text teach us? I had had some more to say, but I want to close it. Here's what we learn. Running from God during seasons of suffering always makes things worse. How did Elimelech Elimelech respond? He ran. He tried to escape God instead of embracing God. Ran from God instead of running to God. And he proved what we all, we all know. Running from God during seasons of suffering always makes things worse. You know what that tells me, church? We're done. It's better to suffer in Bethlehem than to be comfortable in Moab. It's better to suffer in the will of God than to try to find an easier life outside the will of God. So I wonder, is there anybody here facing a famine? No, I know you have food to eat. I'm talking about a life that's dry, barren, and difficult. Maybe if you're honest, it's a famine brought on by your own sinful choices. Or maybe you're doing great with God, but it's something that He's taken you through to test you, to prove you, to strengthen you. I don't know what your famine is. Here's what I do know. You have a choice to make. You have a choice of response. I will run to God or I will run away from God. And if you're here today, I'll say it again. You're in the right place. Maybe you needed to hear this message. Maybe you didn't feel like coming to church but you came anyway. Praise the Lord for it. But maybe you're here In body. But you're in Moab in your heart. You're here because your wife guilted you. You're here because you had to bring the kids. You're here because you had an obligation to volunteer in a certain ministry. But you know in your heart, you're not embracing the Lord. You're running to different kind of wash pots in your life. If that's you, here's what we learned today. Running from God will always make things worse. There are people in here that have the scars to prove it. So don't do it. We're going to have a time of invitation where you'll have an opportunity to run to God. And if in your heart you know this message was for you, I would invite you just even in a public place to come and kneel down privately. And say dear God I'm sorry I want to get back to Bethlehem before it's too late I only intended to sojourn but dear God I don't want to continue there give me your grace and here's the great thing you will always find God's grace at an altar always he's a loving God arms are open so run to the God who has everything under control even if your life is spiring out of stand to your feet every head down every headband.